Welcome to Main Street Banking, a podcast for community bankers brought to you by the Barrett School of Banking and ICBA Securities. My name is Byron Earnhardt, and I'm the Programming Director at Barrett. It is our mission here to serve the community banking industry with information that is informative, relevant, and hopefully we'll have a little fun along the way. So, from Memphis, Tennessee, home of banking, blues, and barbecue, welcome to our little corner of the community banking world. And we hope that we can make your bank, your staff, or maybe just even your day a better one. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Main Street Banking Podcast. Um, Today, we are doing a little something different. We've done it before, but I wanted to take some time and go back to an episode that we had with with Brad Fetterman several months ago called Culture as a Coping Mechanism Today, Behaviors We Are Willing to Accept. Brad was one of the guest speaker or keynote speakers at uh, Lead Forward a couple weeks ago, uh, and he did a great job, great presentation on uh, culture and its impact. He talked a lot about what he talks about in this podcast, and he's also, and we are not paid at all to, to say this, but he's got one of the best books I have ever read on uh, corporate culture that is out, five-star review on Amazon. Um, and like I said, we're not shilling for this, but this is a must-read. And so I wanted to bring, uh, in a sense, bring Brad back and talk about uh, corporate culture and as a coping mechanism. It was a great topic, and so I wanted to uh, bring that to you today. So enjoy it, and we look forward to uh, hearing from the next week's episode, fantastic episode I just recorded, and uh, you're really going to like what you hear there. Thanks a lot. Okay, everybody, welcome back to the Main Street Banking Podcast. Um, we have, I know I say this all the time that we've got uh, one of my favorite guests, but I, and I mean it every time, but I definitely mean it now. We've got uh, Brad Fetterman, uh, one of our uh, 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 faculty members for the grad school, one of my favorite uh, LinkedIn, Twitter, f- uh, Facebook follows, um, got to be a good friend of mine. So Brad, welcome back to the show. Uh, and for those of that don't know you, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and about Performance Point. Well, I run a company called Performance Point, and our focus really is inspiring others to discover and live their possible. Really, others being individuals and organizations, we want people to see what is out there, what can be, as opposed to what they are. You know, let's rise to the occasion. And we do that really focusing on a, a few core buckets. So, you know, one is how do we better engage your employees? Second one is how do we build better relationships with our customers and others, stakeholders that stand the test of time? They actually stand the trials and tribulations of difficult moments. And then the last one is how do we build cultures that are agile and collaborative and healthy where people want to be there and they want to work together? That's, the, that's really where we hang our hat. That's what we like to do. And, uh, and that's actually largely why we're talking today because we, we just put out a book called Cultivating Culture, and it's all about how you create culture in today's kind of environment. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, the, we, we, you, you've got a book out there, and we're working on getting uh, some copies for Christian Brothers. Um, I need to go order my copy. I need to, I, 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 it has kind of slipped my mind, and I, I have to, I have to, uh, 
plead plead uh, guilty on that one. But one of the quotes that uh, that that you had sent that you've been pushing with this, I think it's phenomenal, Brad. Um, I wanted to dive into it with you a little bit here. It's we live in a your quote quote we live in a polarized society. We are segregating ourselves in every aspect of our lives, from where we eat, socialize, pray, and even in our online experiences. It's a way for people to seek comfort, but comfort does not lead to growth, only to decay. Love that. The workplace is one of the last vestiges of diverse thought and range of backgrounds, and we must preserve that experience to preserve civility, competitiveness, and our way of life. I just wanted to get that quote on there and let you riff on that, Brad. Tell tell us a little bit about uh, that quote and uh, where you were going. Well, all we have to do is look outside of our four figurative walls, right? You've got a, a significant increase in, in medication being used, prescription medication for anxiety, et cetera. You've got sleep medication being prescribed. The, the numbers, when you look at the numbers, they're staggering, right? You have um, more than double the amount of complaints to the FAA about customers being unruly, many of which those complaints have to do with violent customers, customers that are beating people up. You know, you're seeing people uh, uh, yell at, scream at, and attack Costco um, door folks, right? You've got, there was a hostess in New York that got sent to the hospital, you know, that because somebody got upset because she asked about the vaccine card because it's the law in, in, in New York. You start looking at what's going on. You've got people that hide in their homes because they're scared of getting sick, even though they don't have an immune deficiency or they're not part of a risk group. What we have here is we have a real struggle for people to cope with all the change and with all the stresses. And we also have a breakdown in norms because we have so much diversity going on and we're having people struggle with coping with all that, right? So you've got this divisiveness. People are separating themselves to feel comfortable because they don't feel comfortable anymore. Right. And, and so you see it even on social media and, and you, you know, there used to be a point where you could have conversations with people and you could disagree with people, but it was there was an interesting exercise that came along with it. You know, you know, Brian and Brad would sit down and we'd, we'd debate something politely and I might learn from you and you might learn from me and you might change my opinion or I might change yours or you'd walk away and say, you know, I still feel the same way, but you were still Brian. I knew who you were and you were great, right? And, and vice versa. Now, when we see people we disagree with, we see them as the enemy, right? And so talking to companies, it's amazing how many of them called and said, we need your help. And, I, and I'd say, why? And they'd say, well, what's happening out there is seeping in here, mm. right? So you're starting to see people say what's ever on their mind without worrying about the words inside the figurative four walls. Well, you know, what I've said to companies is if you don't have a strong culture that sets the tone inside those figurative four walls, then what's outside the four walls will start to take over. And the problem, the difference is, you know, you can argue Democrat, Republican, or whatever the case may be, liberal, conservative, whatever, Yankee versus Southerner, doesn't matter. <laughs> whatever way you want to cut the world up, if that's your thing, you can argue that all you want outside the figurative four walls, whether I think it's right or wrong is a different issue. But here's the deal. When we come into our buildings, we're on the same team. Mm-hmm. And so if, if it's divisive out there and becomes divisive in here, we don't have a team anymore, which means we fail. Mm. So 
culture inside your organization is now more important than ever um, because of all the forces outside of your organization. And here's the thing. If you can teach your people inside your four walls how to be civil, how to really stand up for and hold on to and, and value your values and your culture. And that could be a glue that pulls different types of people together to work together as a team. The amazing thing is if you give people that hat to hang on to and you give them the skill set to do it, then that will actually seep out of your four walls and into the community. My concern is that that the only way to reverse the damaging relationships and behaviors outside of our companies is to help people in our companies be better. Mm. That that's the point of that quote. Yeah. yeah uh, and I love, that's why uh, I, I just stuck it in my notes and said, <laughs> Brad Riff. Um, <laughs> and, and I, you know, I just, I just, I just wanted to get it on the record and say, Brad, go for it because I love that. And I think, um, you know, one of the things that we've seen coming out of COVID, uh, I think we're starting to loosen up actually starting to meet people not on zoom anymore. I think it's pretty obvious that we, we did a whole lot of soul searching in our, in, in our corporations and in our banks, you know, more specifically to, uh, to this podcast. And so cultures have changed, but how do we build on that? And that's the question I would have for you. How do we build on that? And I think more importantly, how do we maintain those changes? You know, how do we keep from going back backwards? How do we, how do we maintain those? Sure. You know, my concern is that we've already seen some people going back even before they return to the office. You know, there's Zoom fatigue. Right. Um, people have been so stressed about everything going on the work in so many hours. You know, people are angry because we you're, you're hearing people use the term return to work and they're saying, what do you think I've been doing this whole time? Right. right. And, and so, you know, the reality is, I think you've got a lot of people that have just put their head down and they're grinding. Right. And and so. My biggest concern is that we've already done some backtracking. Now, my second biggest concern is you're starting to see all that return to the office, right? And people have thought about returning to the office from a standpoint of where should the desks be? How much space do we need? What equipment or antiseptics and things like that do we need? Sanitizers, all those types of things. What I haven't heard a lot about, and it really concerns me, are two things. First, you know, if you look at the last two years, people have equated it with a, a trauma. Mm. In many cases, you've, the reason you have the behavior going on out there is there is almost a sense of PTSD for some folks. And I was even talking to somebody yesterday about it, and they said, I don't see what the big deal is. I'm fine. And I said, that's the problem. Everybody responds to change and to all of this stuff differently. And while you may be fine, somebody next to you may not be. And what we need to do is we need to create a culture that um, drives the sense of that we're no longer just an organization. We're, we're managing trauma centers, right? Mm -hmm. And we need to be thoughtful about the pain, the discomfort, the fear, the problems. If you don't realize this, you've got a lot of people who are going to go return to the office who actually have been drinking and taking drugs during the day because they've been able to, no one's there. Right. right. And so you're going to deal with those kinds of issues when people come back. So that's the first concern I have. The second concern I have is people are talking about return to the office and they, they make it sound like, okay, now it's time to come back. 
Well, so I've gotten used to working from home. I've gotten used to flexible work hours. Why do I need to come back? Why do I want to come back? Right. You're getting everything you want from me. And I think companies have it backwards. What they need to be thinking is, how do we create an environment that is all about camaraderie, collaboration, and culture building, right? If we do that, and when, we, when, when people start to just check it out, we're having a meeting, come back into the office for the meeting. Don't tell them they all have to return right at once. But when they start to experience culture, collaboration, and camaraderie, then all of a sudden, you're going to have people that are going to race to come back to the office. They may not come back five days a week, but they'll come back three because they want to be a part of it because they see the things that, that benefit them and everyone else by being in the office space. And so to me, it's backwards. Don't set a date and tell people to come back. Set an environment that is inviting for people to come back and they will come back themselves. That, right. It's got to be the back. So I think the, the, the way you do that, though, you asked, how do you do it? I think the way you do it is you have to be very clear about what your stake in the ground is. What do you stand for? What is your culture? What are your values? Um, what, what constitutes who you are and why people should want to work there, right? If you can define that, then you've got to start to weave that into the way you do business, it needs to be a part of the way you train. It needs to be a part of the way you do performance appraisals. If you're still doing performance appraisals, some people have dropped it. It needs to be part of the way you um, you do your meetings, right? Um, and, um, and, and so every component of how you work with your people needs to be a component that reinforces your culture. And, and most companies don't do that. In fact, I just did a study, a, 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 a post where I'm on, on social media, where I did some a study, like a, a poll on, on how often people visit culture. I was amazed at how many people only talk about culture once a year. Mm. It blew my mind. Now, the second thing I'll tell you is not only do you have to weave it in your company into, into the way you work, but culture really is at its core. You can define it a lot of ways, but I'm going to define it this way because I think this makes a lot of sense. Culture is the behaviors you're willing to accept. So it doesn't matter what you put on the wall. It doesn't matter what you talk about. It doesn't matter what 80% of your people do. It matters. You know, the, if you have a bunch of salespeople that bring in a million dollars a year and you have one salesperson that brings in $5 million a year, it matters what you allow that $5 million salesperson to do. Right. If everybody else acts, acts nice and that five million dollar salesperson a year is a jerk, then that's what your culture is about. Right. If right. It, it, it doesn't matter that 99 percent of the time everybody acts nice. But when there's a mistake, people berate each other in the halls. Well, that's what your culture is. It's what you're willing to accept. And it isn't about what you're willing to accept under the best of times. It's what you're willing to accept when you're tested. Mm. Absolutely. Um, I, I, I guess I would, wouldn't be too far of a stretch because so many bankers have been, uh, you know, are, are back and, and, and have never really shut down. I think about the tellers that, that um, you know, fought the, that were frontline the whole time or very rarely got that time off or don't have the flex for right. that. I would, I would, I'm going to, I'm going to ask a question. I think I know the answer to, which is always a good thing. Um, you know, how much more important is the culture for those that have to come back five days 
five days a week, Monday through Friday, maybe even on a Saturday, the way that, uh, you know, they're trying to do that. How much more important is culture for, for that situation that we see in banking so much? Well, there's a phrase that people use, you know, uh, as you get older and you have more money in your pocket um, and, and then they realize that they've spent more than they probably should. And they said, I could deal with if I hadn't seen some riches, I could such riches, I could deal with being poor. And I think the same thing plays um, into culture. If I hadn't had such freedom and flexibility, I could deal with returning to the office. And, and I think that's the key is how do you create an environment uh, for people that are returning? Because it is that much more important. Uh, you got to think about it this way. I, I, these people sat in their homes naively thinking they weren't being watched. I say that because a lot of companies actually have technology solutions that allow them to know what people are working on, how long they're working, who they're talking with. And so people are being watched more than they think they are. But they were working from home and they felt like they weren't being watched. They felt like they had freedom. Now they're going to go into an office um, or office environment and they're going to feel watched whether they are or not. They're going to know that people can see them. Their freedom will feel like they, they, it's been pulled away. For some of those people, it's going to feel claustrophobic. And you've got to find a, a vehicle to make them feel comfortable, um, to feel that sense of freedom again. And um, to allow them to do their work. One of the key things that I think is really important is culture is a safety valve, right? And, and, and so when you use culture, it means that people know the ropes to skip and the ropes to know. They know how things work. They're comfortable with how things work because they sign up for that deal. And they understand how everybody's supposed to interact with each other. Now, when you do that, people feel safe. They feel really, because the world's predictable and they want, gosh, especially now people want predictability. And so I actually think that, you know, culture, you know, I I say culture is a set of beliefs that can elevate your company, but even more so to me, it's the cipher for learning and opening up your mind. And you can't learn and open your mind unless you are feeling a sense of of safety, right? And so culture at its at its core should be a rash is, is more than a rational idea. It is a sense of emotion. It's it reflects identity and it touches people at, at the core at who they are. You want to work for a company who has a culture that matches your needs. I think too, and I'm gonna apologize now, Brad, because I'm getting ready to go off script a little bit with you sure. with us. <laughs> But uh, but like, it like more fun, Byron. Well, fun. I mean, you know, you know me, and you know Byron and Brad. We're going. We're just going to sit around and have a conversation. Sure. This is what we'd be doing anyway. I, I, I think what you're speaking to about culture. Uh, we've been recently. I've been reading a lot about burnout and the 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 increase in burnout that we're seeing. I think the last time uh, you and I had a podcast, we talked about the uh, the Great Resignation and what's really going on um, in some of the data that we're that we're seeing. I think that culture. I think that burnout. That look, I've been on the desk at a bank. I get bef- way before pandemic. I know about burnout. Um, I think that speaks so much heavier to, to to what you're talking about culture and sort of the new culture that we're seeing. Um, that 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 burnout bec- is becoming much more of an issue right now that we're seeing. Is that what you're seeing as well in, in your in your world? Well, I think people are burnt out for a number of reasons, and 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 I think a lot of people don't even know why they are. Mm. Um, in some cases, you know, burnout is actually higher for people working from home than they are in the office. Right. And it's because there's no boundaries and they're putting in more hours. But 
overarching, the overarching issue is a lot. It is, is people, people reach for comfort. Hmm. Okay. And comfort um, is gone. You know, they, the reality is the last two years have been anything but predictable. Uh, and, and unfortunately the next 10 years will be anything but predictable. The only thing you can predict now is that change will occur more often and faster than ever. In fact, the, um, the experts say that if you think back about everything that happened in the last century, you can expect to see that kind of change happen in the next 10 years. So people are struggling to keep up. They're struggling to deal with the, um, the, the lack of predictability. They're struggling to deal with everything that's happening. And so, you know, burnout is huge. It, it means that we need to build more human centric cultures. I think that's important. Right. And, and we did it for a short time when we had to go full fledged uh, hybrid or, or remote and every company for the most part did some version of that. Right. Right. And you had to worry about people's safety and whether they're going to get sick and go on a ventilator. All of a sudden, everything changed. People started worrying about each other as human beings. Even leaders who didn't think that way started to think that way. Right. And, um, and, and so now it's all about wanting to get back to normal. Well, there is no normal and we won't get back to normal and what we need to do, remember is that, that that fleeting moment where when I called clients and said, are you okay? Mm-hmm. No, I'm not calling for anything other than to check and make sure, you know, and I did that even during things like some of the riots that were going on. Remember the, the yeah. and people, I had clients who were in those areas. I called them and said, are you okay? Is the company okay? Um, how are you all dealing with the diversity issue? Because a lot of this has to do with inclusion and diversity. And that could, if you're dealing with it well, it could help you, but this could tear your company apart, right? And I didn't call for any business. I just called to be a shoulder, you know, that's all. And the appreciation for that was huge. And I think we have to make that a part of our life. It can't, it can't be for fleeting moments. It can't be when, when something bad happens. We have to make that who we are on a regular basis because going forward, people are going to need that on a regular basis. That's it. I mean, and I think culture plays a role in that. You know, one of the other quotes I use, and I, and I believe this to be true, culture, if done right, will become the coping mechanism for an ever-changing world. It's the constant. So you, if you need a constant, you need to build a culture that's your constant. So I can cope with all the other crap that keeps changing on me. Wow. Yeah. That, that's probably going to be the title of the podcast. Um, yeah. yeah, um, yeah, And I'll tell you for, for Brad's, uh, uh, clients that are, um, that, that are listening, I hope, um, when Brad (laughs) asked the question of how you're doing and you, because I can tell you from personal experience, when Brad asks the question, you just say, well, here's how I'm doing. And you lay it out. He does listen. And that's uh, uh, that that is a very true statement on, on Brad's uh, personality and his business. I, you know, I think, Brad, <clears throat> you know, bankers hate unpredictability. That's, you know, we hate <laughs> yeah, we're so adaptable. Yeah. Um, you know, and we hate it in our cash flows. It's just it goes against our risk manage- management nature. I, I, I think 
in addition to the, the the managing our own culture, understanding, having empathy for our customers in, in that space as well. You know, I'm not saying, again, go make bad loans. Uh, and if we have to deal with bad loans, you know, we have to do that. But understanding that the normal has not just changed for our employees, and I'm always defending the, the tellers having been one, um, you know, for, for those for those employees, but understanding that about other people, God forbid we have empathy, you yes. know, for, for people. And I, 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 th- I hope our banking, cust- our banking listeners are hearing that as definitely take care of your own, but also understand your customers are going through this as well, too. No, I use a I use a phrase when I work with com- companies on customer related issues. We do a lot of customer experience work, mm-hmm. and the phrase is "experiences mean everything, promises mean nothing." Mm. And and what it really boils down to is if if you are promoting an internal set of values, and you're promoting an external set of experiences, uh, or promises, or values to your customers. If you say that you're customer focused, if you say you're community focused, like say you're community bank, if those are just words and my experience doesn't match that, then as far as concerned, you're not a community bank. You know, you know, that that's what it boils down to. And here's the thing, that type of difference between what I'm told and what my experience is, is a determination of whether I will be loyal to you or whether I'll take my, work, my my business somewhere else. So culture is an inside out game, but it better, it better be inside out. It can't be inside. You know, people think of culture, they think about employees. No, your inside culture is built to match your outside experience. And it is an inside out game. You have to play both sides and you have to commit to both sides. That's how you succeed. And, and the truth is, you see it every day. 88% of employees believe that they want to work for a distinctive workplace culture, right? Um, 58% of people have left or are considering leaving jobs because they believe their culture is weak. A Columbia University study said the likelihood of people leaving at a company with a strong or high company culture was only 13.9%. But the probability of people leaving in cultures with a low or weak culture was 48.4%. You know, we're in a labor shortage moment right now. And if you want your customers to have a great experience, you better keep your people. And one of the neat things that culture is tied to is if you have a strong culture and you're living it and you've woven it into the way you work, and your employees see it, feel it, and believe it, they want to stick around. They will fight to stay. That's powerful. That's really powerful. Yeah. And you, and I'm, I'm, I don't want to make sure, I want to make sure I don't slaughter the statistic. Yeah. You just posted literally a few minutes before we recorded on this that 58% of people say they, tr- and I wanted our management listeners to hear this <clears throat> 58% of people say they trust strangers more than they trust their own boss. Yep. That was actually from Harvard business. That that's a number. That's it's huge. It's scary. Yes. It's terrible. 
Um, but it's a statement about our leadership and it's a statement about our, the, the and reflection of the cultures that we have out there. We have work to do. We really do have work to do. And we have to commit to that work the way we commit to other things, you know. And here's the here's the thing. Uh, it's not not only not going to go away. Right. The the. You know, we've talked about income stratification, right? You have the right. have have nots, right? Well, the right. same thing's going to happen with companies. It's happening with companies. You have, you're having winners and losers. You're having the haves and your have nots. And a, and a lot of the determination of have and have nots is built around these issues. Mm-hmm. If you don't commit, you will fall behind and you will become less and less relevant. And unfortunately, in years past, you had time to address it. In years forward, it will happen like that. And to, to put some numbers to it and speak more clearly to the, to the community bankers, uh, how many community banks did we have 10 years ago versus what we have now? And what are the experts saying about, um, uh, uh, about uh, mergers and acquisitions that we're seeing? You want to protect your shareholders. You want to protect your family's investment. You want to grow and acquire. It's not always dollars and cents. This is this is what's actually going to move the needle. I'll give you um, I'll give you two examples. I'll give you one. I'll give a real one example. It's really good. I can give you two, but I'll give you one. Two weeks ago, I had to go to a bank to do a new signature card because I'm running an organization that uh, I'm now um, president elect for. So I have to have access to the bank account. Right. A signature card. Signature card. Two and a half hours later. Oh God! Still at the bank. Now the reason I'm still at the bank is because a week prior they went through a merger. Mm-hmm. What we just talked about, and they um, didn't train the staff on the new system, mm. and they didn't have it staffed for the new system. And so they were running around trying to figure things out and everybody is frustrated. Everybody's off, right? It's just not a good situation. The employees are freaking out. Right. You know, they keep saying, we'll be right with you. We'll be right with you. And they can't. Yeah. The whole time we're trying to work through everything. I'm sitting at the desk and I'm looking at a placard that has the culture and value statement on it. And one of the first culture statement pieces was about customers and the fact that we focus on creating unique and positive customer experiences. Ooh. I knew where this was going. Oh, right? That was what it was. Now, <laughs> signature card two and a half hours later. Now, <sighs> let me just tell you, the reason that happened is because they were concerned about a merger. They were concerned about dollars and cents. They were concerned about having too much overlap of systems because it would cost them too much money. And it was all dollars and cents decisions. So they make a statement about customers and about employees. But when push came to shove, they didn't live up to the statements and customers got hurt. And I can tell you, we're having a conversation right now about leaving the bank and taking our business somewhere else because we want to be treated right. And in, when push came to shove, they treated us terribly. Not worse, by the way, too. After all of that, um, the manager 
said, I'm going to take care of you. I'll be right back. I'm going to give you gift certificates. I'm going to take care of you. I, I know I can't make it right, but I'm going to at least say I'm sorry. Went in the back and never came back. We left with nothing. I'm glad we're not doing the video on this. Um, <laughs> the, you know, and what, what's sad is I'm sure lots of bankers that are listening to this have been in similar situations. I, I, I have, and I'm sure a lot of folks have, you know, you know, darn good and well, you're, you're messing over the customer. If you're that frontline employee, you know what this Absolutely. looks like in front of the customer. And they feel, if they feel terrible too, by the way, you, I feel for them because they feel terrible. Yeah. You, but to the point about culture management, you left your people on an Island right there. Hey, I said it in the beginning, culture are the behaviors we're willing to accept, right? So in that moment, that bank showed us what they were willing to accept. Yeah. Money trumps customer service. Yep. Don't tell me that you'll take care of me as a customer. Show me you'll take care of me as a customer. And if money trumps customer service, then don't you dare make that promise because my experience said something different. Absolutely. And, and you've left customer service people, your management, your, uh, your, your CSRs, your tellers, that relationship managers, whatever you want to universal bank, whatever you want to call them, you've left them on an island because they're the face of your decision and they're and the face what? of your culture. And guess what? Not only is that customer getting ready to leave, and I know I'm not the only one because I've heard other people talk about it. Yeah. But employees start to exodus. Right. Which then makes the problem even worse. And you spent this energy trying to create a merger or an acquisition that made you stronger and better. And in the end, you weaken your system. Yep. And in some cases, you do more than weaken it. And that's right. the bad part about it. For a right. short-term result, you put yourself in jeopardy. Mm. Well, I'm going to calm down now um, <laughs> because I mean you you can see that it's just it's just cringing me on here. Um, but, but let's talk. Let, let's get idealistic, Brad. Let's in, let's let's wrap this up on a positive note because sure. I don't want to I don't want to throw my back out cringing. Um, you know, and I've talked about on the show that you know my my big kind of noble goal that I, I work for here at Barrett and sort of on the podcast is that I'm naive enough to believe that community banking can save the, if done right, can save the world. So you, you brought out some great points uh, in some of the material that, that we had, uh, you had shared beforehand about, um, and you mentioned it earlier in the, this episode was that, you know, the, what we do inside of our walls, be it physical or virtual impacts the external. And so I kind of wanted to, and that could be a double-edged sword, but I kind of wanted to riff and kind of go with, okay, we change our culture and we, we're moving forward and we're doing the right things within our bank and we're having empathy with our customers. Let's talk about, you know, let's take that as a, as a given in this. What kind of good can that do in the community at large? What if oh. one bank changes their culture? What good can that do in, the, in your community? Well, I think it, it, it can do incredibly good. First of all, there's a sense of pride that happens with your employees. And, and they're your PR department. They walk out of those walls and they are telling your story, right? Second, um, if it really is being lived and, and customers are experience it, experiencing it, then they're your second PR department, right? Uh, and... You know, quite frankly, if you're helping your customers, then they're better off, which means there's more business. Right. Right. 
and, and you're really starting to help each other grow. I, I actually think that's the biggest difference between a community bank and a and a, and what a large bank can do. So many large banks, and I'm not I'm not dogging a large bank, sure, but they're very interested in in straight numbers, right? Sure. And, uh, and it's all about number of deposits, number. And when you're a customer, you can feel it, right? I, I'll go into a, a large bank and I'll do a transaction and, and I'll get the, the obligatory um, cross-sell. Right. Even if it has nothing to do with my life. Right. Uh, if you're a community bank and you're really connecting with your customers and you know who they are, then you have the ability to cross-sell in a way that's not just good for the bank, but it's good for your customer. And if you're truly really helping build your customer, grow your customer, you're, you're really their partner, um, then you're growing the community, right? So your community is better off. Uh, you know, I think that's a big thing. The third thing I, I'd say is beyond just the culture and the, and the money and all those kinds of things, uh, you know, you're, you're setting the pace, the tone for the way we treat each other. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. So, you know, if you're, if you're in your community, you have a place that sets the tone for the way that we treat one another. That's contagious. Yep. Right. You know, I mean, let's face it when, you know, I'll use Chick-fil-A, you know, some people don't like Chick-fil-A. Some people like Chick-fil-A because there's the political stuff that goes, sure. Forget about the political stuff for a little while. They redefined what quality fast food looks like, and they redefined what service feels like in fast food, mm-hmm. right? And, and let's face it, in order to compete, other fast food chains had to raise their game. You know, it became apparent to McDonald's that the fast food environment had shifted on them and they've done things to compete. It has become apparent to people like Popeye's that the fast food environment shifted. And you know what? You got a chicken war sandwich, chicken sandwich war going on right now, right? <laughs> right. My point being is when someone raises the game, they raise other people's game because you have to, right? You either lose or you get better. And, and that's, that's contagious. And so to me, I think we can take communities that are going through challenging moments and we can raise them up through the culture of one company, there's power in that. Yeah. You know, and I hope that people see that power, not from a self-interest standpoint, but from a responsibility standpoint. And they say to themselves, we want to leave this place better than when we got here. And they truly emphasize that in the culture that they develop. And with how many people, I hope, your bank touches in the community, be it from the individuals, from the small business, to nonprofits that, you know, go out and do good out in your communities. Think of how many people we touch. Think of what financial (laughs) intermediation, use a big economic term, what financial intermediation does. And we change that culture and let that seep out. I, you know, and then multiply that out across the country. You know what? It's it's not just warm, fuzzy, kumbaya culture talk. You're literally talking about saving your business, saving the bank and improving your community look, with, in you real do, tangible terms. All you have to do is look at even places that have done it. I mean, yeah. I'll take two places, Nashville and Austin, Texas. Those places were a long time ago and, and not even that long ago. They weren't on the map. Right. You would say, oh, who wants to go to Nashville? Country music. 
Austin, Texas. I know Dallas. I know Houston. I know what's Austin, right? But both of those communities and the businesses within those communities all came to agree on the fact that we want to be better, right? And, and so they, as communities, they had to say, as long as someone comes here to better the community, we're, we're going to welcome them. They may be a little weird. They may be a little strange. They may be different than we are, but we don't, we're going to welcome them. As long as they're here to better our community. And we want to be known as the place that embraces talent, mm-hmm. regardless of the background, regardless of where they come from, regardless of their diverse diversity issues. We want to embrace talent. And single-handedly, you know, you had Austin even adopt a, a small business concept that grew into something bigger than small business, which was keep Austin weird. weird. Yeah. That was the whole concept was come on down, right? You got something to offer. We want you here, right? And and the reality is culture done right gives voice to all different walks of life. And if you have that kind of diversity and thought in your community, then your community grows. And the reason people go there and they flock there is because they feel welcomed and they're excited about what a place or a few places offer. You can take something, you can take a city, a a, a community that's not even on the map and you can turn it around and you can make it a growth place because people feel welcome and they want to be there. And all of a sudden people flock. Now that's how, that's how communities get started. That's how they grow. But guess what? You have to have a reason to want to go there. And the reason you go there is culture. Mm. That's the biggest thing. Let's face it. Austin is muggy in the summer, right? Now there's some nice parts about it, but it's muggy. Nashville ain't too pretty in the summer in the sense that it's hot and muggy. I mean, by the right. way, come on. Right. But people flock there for a reason. And you have other communities that people had not been to that are starting to develop popularity for a reason. And a lot of it is culture. Yeah. And bankers, how many of us serve as we're always the treasurer for everything, but how many of us serve on chamber of commerce, main street association, your local, uh, your local church or faith or community, everything that we are treasurer of because nobody else wants to deal with the money. What does that impact? Outside the four walls, virtual or real, in, in our in our in our banks, it it works to make everything better. That's not just warm fuzzy kumbaya. You know, you look at any successful company, any successful venture, and and you know, look, taking care of business and the numbers, it's part of the, it's the entrance ticket to the game, right? Right. Every, but anybody who's going to be decent has to do that, right? But if you look at the best. You get the people that, that people want to they want to flock to, right? Um, it's because there's something unique and different about them. Right. They get something out of working there they don't get somewhere else. And it's all culture-based. You know, the balance sheet and the profit loss statement will not tell you any of that. Right. It, and it doesn't tell you where you're going. It tells you it tells you where you've been. So if if you want to create a growth strategy, it's not looking at your past. It's building your future. Right. 
we could keep going for hours, Brad. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm always, will, I'm always glad to have you back, and we're going to because you've opened up about three or four more questions for me. But uh, <laughs> in the interest of time and the fact I got to go pick up my kids in about five minutes, so I'm going, we're going to wrap this up here. Uh, we're going to bring Brad back. Uh, we're talking about doing some things around ESG and and DEI with Brad as soon as we get a little more guidance out of out of that out of our regulators. So keep staying, stay tuned. Um, uh, for Brad. And I hope those that are coming to grad school can hear how much you're going to enjoy Brad's classes. So um, Brad, in order to wrap up, uh, tell us a little bit more about where they can find your book and uh, tell us a little bit more about uh, what you got coming up at Performance Point. Sounds good. Well, a couple of things. One is it's been called the Bible for building culture by someone. It has been said to be the most practical and useful book on culture anybody's picked up by another person. I mean, the reaction has been positive. You can pick it up at any major bookseller. You can pick it up at retailers, Walmart, Target, Books A Million, Barnes & Noble, Auto, um, Amazon. All these different places have it. So you pick it up there. I also want to encourage people to, um, to look us up, Performance Point, on LinkedIn. We're also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all this. But uh, And also look me up. Follow me, connect with me. I want to hear from you. I love engaging in dialogue. Gosh, what's going on at Performance Point? We're excited. We've got not only this book launch, we've got an, uh, a version of the book um, in an app form coming out. Oh, cool. So what's cool about the book is it's actually meant to be used. It's not meant to just be read. It's a bunch of quick, down and dirty activities, discussions, experiences you can create with your employees that, that help you build your culture. And we have the ability to customize that based around a company's stated culture, values, pillars. And we can even create an app that will, um, at the right time before someone's meetings or daily shift meetings, huddles, whatever, will send them an agenda and the activity and call to action ready to go. They don't have to prepare. It's all there for them. And it's built around their company. We, so we're doing that. We're doing all kinds of leadership training. We have another book we're writing. I'm writing a book on, on careers. I'm excited about that. That should come out in about a year or so. Um, so we are, we're just, we're doing great things. We're excited. Uh, the client works fantastic and we're just ready to go. You sound too, you sound busy. Chris and I are going to have to get on your, uh, your calendar ahead of time. We got to get this, uh, DEI and ESG stuff booked quicker we're than, ready. I, than, uh, than I think the regulator is going to be ready for, but we'll, we'll get you. We'll get you. We're ready. We're ready. Well, Brad, thanks again, as always, man. Thank you so much uh, for your time today. Um, uh, we'll have a link to uh, to, to some, some several places to buy the book uh, in the show notes. And I will personally endorse uh, his his social media and the performance point. Follow it on everything because it's always good to get a performance point little blurb on your whatever feed you're looking at. It's always Thank good you. to get that. It always makes my day. So Thank you very much. Brad, thanks a lot for your time, buddy. Appreciate you. Take care. Enjoy yourself. I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, that wraps up our episode for today. Thank you for listening. If you haven't already, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast so you won't miss out on the latest episode. We'd also appreciate a five-star rating as well, as that will help get the content out to more listeners. We appreciate ICBA Securities for their sponsorship, and if you would like to know more about quality investment products, services, and education at competitive prices, check out their website at icbasecurities.com. And finally, if you don't follow Barrett on our social media platforms, be sure to check us out on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook to stay up to date with all the cool new things that we've got coming up. 
And as always, from Memphis, Tennessee, the home of banking, blues, and barbecue, thanks again for tuning in, and we hope you have a great day.